This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is good to hear. A celebration of Canadian music, the Junos on 105.9 The Region. When you see me, do you see me through your eyes or the lenses of the people in disguise? Cause they The 51st edition of the June Awards are coming up on Sunday, May 15th in Toronto, Budweiser Stage. And I can't think of anyone more deserving of being awarded the Humanitarian Award at this year's Junos than uh, someone who's made a huge difference to Canadians from coast to coast and all our coasts and all our different oceans. Susan Aglu-Clark joining us today. Susan, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Uh, good. I, I mean, your story reads like something out of a Hollywood script. Born in Churchill, raised in Nunavut. Uh, endured a lot as a youth, and now has become this voice for not just Inuit, Indigenous Canadians, but all Canadians for hope and healing. It's it's pretty empowering and pretty emotional when you think about it. Thank you. Absolutely. It's just a series of, I feel like, um, happenstance, incredible people in my life and, and just wonderful guides throughout the career. You talk about your music career, and it... I mean, it really is an out-of-nowhere road to stardom as a musician and success. I mean, at what point did you think, hey, I want to start singing and make an album and become the, the person that you are today? Well, you know, here's the irony of it all. Um, I would say there was a point about the late 1990s, early 2000s, where I was finally emotionally well enough to say, actually, I love singing. I love songwriting. I want to be an artist. This is who I am. And then to really get in there, to really get in there and start really truly making it my life. But up to that point, the years that led up to that point were almost always mostly in a state of what we call ilera, emotional fear, a bit of fear. So, yeah, it was kind of kind of a backward story that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the first time in a studio, putting your voice down uh, to record, that must have been an incredible out-of-body experience. It was. It was. It was, um, you know, the early years, the writing of the Arctic Rose album and that first Christmas album were, you know, working day jobs and just learning, trying to learn and figure out what I want to do with my life. Actually, I had applied to a flying school and gotten accepted, so I thought I would be a pilot. So there's kind of a lot of uncertainty in those early years, and then with that big major label album, This Child, it was still a little bit uncertainty around whether I'm a singer-songwriter or not. But even then, realizing here is an incredible opportunity and really I should do something with this. Now, I mean, there's not many artists in Canadian music can say they have 10 studio albums with the releasing of The Crossing. When you craft together The Crossing, you're putting it together and you're using your depth of experience. It must be such a completely different recording experience than it was at the beginning, Susan. It was. It, it absolutely was. And the relationships also uh, have changed uh, in the studio. So in the early years, for example, writing This Child, Wow, with these incredible musicians in the studio and learning about how that whole side of 
an artist's career works. And then later on, and and especially with The Crossing, it, it really truly became a collaborative relationship. All those wonderful musicians have become dear, dear friends, and, and that relationship grew. And it, it sure makes for a different experience in the studio and definitely one where I feel a lot more comfortable and safer to express and want to share the things I'm learning as an Inuk about my ancestors and as an Indigenous person. Well, you, you, you teach us about being an Indigenous person, about Inuk and the Inuit and Nunavut in the far north, because most Canadians don't know. And through your music, you're educating legions of Canadians of all ethnic backgrounds. You must get feedback from a lot of people of all different backgrounds about what your music has done to them. I do. I, and I, I tell you, you know, the irony of it, and I guess that was one of those wonderful lessons uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I knew I wanted to keep doing this to pursue this, to get better at all of this. It also meant I'm an Inuk, and as an Inuk or Indigenous, what am I going to write about? What is that history? What is that story? And the more I learn, the more I want to write about it. We were recently in Alaska, well, recent, uh, just before the pandemic, mm. and met with fellow Inuit or Eskimo in Alaska, have been to Greenland uh, and met fellow Inuit Eskimo from Greenland. And all across the board, we have very similar stories and what incredible connections they have been and to have a chance to put that into songs and to share that with Canada, actually worldwide. Absolutely, it's been an incredible ongoing learning and conversation. Speaking to the recipient of this year's Juno Award for the Humanitarian Award, the incredible Susan Glucark, my wife and I are gifted and we're blessed to have two daughters in university and their journey and their knowledge and their quest for understanding Canada and uh, reconciliation, Indigenous people is so different than my wife and I, you know, born in the late 60s, early 70s, and now we have kids born in the 2000s, and I think it makes for a better country. We have these youth in high school and university and college who are so much more in touch with Inuit and Indigenous people. I, it's it's great to see. What's your feeling on it, Susan? Um, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel such a great privilege as an Indigenous person, to be living in these times when we can be part of that change, that movement forward as Canadians. Having said that, um, we all acknowledge, too, that there is a lot of still very preliminary work to be done, and what I mean by that, and, and, what, a, and what an incredible time as Canadians, because so many are so much more open to receiving this than, say, we were 25, 30 years ago, even 20 years ago. Even we, Indigenous, are doing what I call correcting the narrative. We're learning a lot, mm-hmm. and we're learning and unlearning a lot, and we're sharing the things that we are learning and unlearning, and this is the time to do it before we even really truly begin that healing and reconciliation conversation. But you're absolutely right. Um, our, our next generation of leaders are listening, and this is really, really important, and this is, I think, what uh, all of the information that's been released and things that we have learned has done is it's opened up the ears and the hearts, and so we're we're taking it all in. But now we've got to really move forward meaningfully and very intentionally and, and let us, even us Indigenous, unlearn a lot of the ways so that we can relearn a lot of the traditional ways and begin to heal and move forward that way. I think of you, Susan, and and through your art, through your music, and through your humanitarian work, you're always growing and moving forward. But when you find out you're receiving an award of this magnitude, do you take time to reflect? And man, man, it's it's been quite a journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if 
If I knew when I moved away from home and moved to Ottawa back in 1990 and 1991 that 30 years later this would be the life, I would not have believed you. I would not have believed it possible um, that I could even be this public as a personality. Um, I mean, that was furthest thing from my mind, let alone a celebrity. Um, yeah, night and day. And again, I mean, who gets to live this life? <laughs> you know, I mean, I wake up every morning and I know how, how fortunate I am that this has become the life. And, and then to have a chance to share all of it through, through the Arctic Rose Foundation and with the team that we have and the, the work that we are doing in our northern environments, it's, it really truly is a privilege. And the only thing next to do is convince that Marvel superhero from Scarborough, Simu Liu, to do a movie in the far north and it's the, the circle's complete. Well, actually, there are a lot of really wonderful artists that we are waiting to engage in our work from the North who do that development as well, and it's happening. There there are a lot of wonderful people doing that work right now, so uh, not necessarily about me. I don't think that that, that's the story, but there's some (laughs) wonderful people doing that work now. You're far too humble and gracious, and this has been a distinct pleasure for me. Susan, thank you so much. Congratulations on the Humanitarian Award, and thank you for the work that you do for this country. It, It means a lot to me and all of us. Thank you very much. Good to hear. This is the good news. The Junos on 105.9 The Region. Nominated for the Best Children's Album, but I think there must be a nomination for being the best-looking family ever. Walk Off the Earth, uh, Sarah Blackwood joins me right now. Um, And Sarah, it's your son, Romeo, who is nominated alongside uh, you and uh, your husband uh, for the Children's Album of the Year. Yeah, hi. (laughs) How are you? I'm good, Kevin. I'm good. I'm good. And and I mean that. I mean, I'm looking at all these pictures. You guys are just too cute, the three of you together. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, photos are like a really big part of our lives. We love to capture memories. We love to have things to look back on. I grew up with all photo albums from when my parents were engaged to when we were, you know, teenagers and I just feel like it's something that we've always wanted to do. So we do take a lot of family photos together. <laughs> and you and you and Johnny have uh, three. Yeah, we have three boys. Three boys. And, okay, now you tell, <laughs> tell me if your experience is the same as mine when it comes to photos then, because we have four, um, that we have a ton of photos of, of kid number one. And then fewer and fewer as uh, we had kids two, three, and four. So that uh, kid number four often asked me, hey, Dad, where are the pictures of me? Is that the same with, with, uh, with Romeo? Because he's your youngest. Yeah. Well, so that's when you just say to them, you show them a picture of like kid number two, kid number three, and just say like, that's you. As a, what do you mean? That's exactly. That's you. <laughs> what? I can't tell the difference. Maybe they can't tell the difference as well. Congratulations on the nomination. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. We're, we're so excited. We're so happy. We love the Junos. We love going to the Junos. We love being a part of it. So it's, uh, it's a very exciting time, for sure. This is kind of a departure from your other trips to the Junos, though. This is Best Children's Album. Yeah, it is. You know, we like to dip our beaks in many, many ponds. <laughs> and it just so happened when we were 
you know, given this time off the road, which I like to put it that way, we were blessed with this time off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided to kind of zone in on Romeo a little bit because we had been, since he could eat solid food, we noticed that he had this really broad, amazing palate and loved to try things, loved to eat different foods, not like our other two kids. <laughs> and we uh, we started doing little stories and stuff on our Instagram of him eating things, and people just resonated with it for some reason. They loved to watch his reactions to, to different foods and couldn't believe that a two-year-old was eating, you know, caviar and uh, whatever else it was that he was trying. And we, we saw that there was something there. And so, you know, being the artists that we are and producers that we are, we were like, we could probably do a little show out of this where Johnny and Romeo, Johnny's the same way. And my husband is yeah. like, he loves food, everything. He'll eat anything. So we said, okay, well, we have some time off the road now. Maybe this is the time to do this show. So we did the show and then... In true Walk Off the Earth style, we were like, we need music with, the, with every episode. Why don't we just write all the songs and we could write a song per episode about what it is that they're eating. And that turned into, um, you know, what's going to be three albums eventually when the show's completely rolled out. And this, as it turns out, Volume 1 is nominated for a Juno. <laughs> volume 1. And you got three albums out of it. Or you're going to get three albums three out of it. Albums. Yeah, we shot, I think, 26 episodes altogether, and each episode has its own original song, so that's it. We were like, there's there's an album here. There's something here that for people to really listen to, and there could be real potential in this, so let's put it out as an album and see what happens, and, and here we are. <laughs> and it's great for Johnny, I guess, because he likes experimenting with all the different kinds of instruments. Has he sort of sort of experimented with different things on this album? Absolutely. So we... We have a really broad fan base, even just as Walk yes. Off the Earth. We have four-year-olds at our show all the way to 90-year-olds at our show. Yeah. And when we started writing the songs for this album, it was really fun because we got to really, really, really think outside of the box. When we write music for Walk Off the Earth, it's, there's more of a structure to it. It's mm. more like, okay, we're writing like pop rock, and there's certain things that we want in there, how we want it to sound, whereas with this, it was like, okay, we're going straight to our roots right now, and we can literally do anything we want with these songs. So we just went for it, and some of the songs have the most hilarious lyrics in them that if you really listen to them, you'll die laughing. Do you have have a favorite one, one that stands out? My favorite song is the Mushroom Song. For foraging, forest to work, but it's also because the genre so every song is a different genre as well so the mushroom song is kind of like this motown vibe and it talks about how amazing mushrooms are but it also touches on other ways that mushrooms can be amazing sarah this is a kid's album. I know, but what we wanted to do with the show and this music is we wanted something that grown-ups and kids can appreciate. Yeah. You know the Muppet Show used to do that? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Show, a kid would laugh, and you'd think as a grown-up, you'd say, like, they don't get that joke. Obviously, yeah. they're not old enough to understand it, but it was really clever the way that they integrated more, like, mature content into the kids' content but also still kept it really family-friendly. So we wanted to do that with these songs, with this show. 
and uh, and that's what we uh, that's what we touched on. <laughs> you know, perhaps the most important question I should be asking, and I think every parent out there is waiting for me to ask it: How did you get Romeo to try so many different kinds of foods? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, well, again, one of the one of his qualities is that he is genuinely so interested in food. If he if it was something that we just kind of were like. Um, we have this idea, let's just make him do it and, you know, figure it out. It wouldn't have been the same. He, he's, he's this genuine character. He's in love with food. And um, honestly, it was just a matter of us getting excited about the food since he was a very young age around him saying, hey, man, you want to try this? Oh, it tastes so good. And he'd be like, yeah. And, you know, and kids can be very finicky, very picky when it comes no. to food. I think it's important <laughs> as parents to get kids excited about food and get them excited about trying new things. And that was one of our goals of the show was not only to make it fun, but also to make it educational, not just for kids, but for parents to say, Mm. oh, I don't even know what a soursop is. Maybe next time I'm at Nations or wherever, whatever grocery store, we'll look for that and we can try it. If the kids are interested, if they're watching Romeo eat it, maybe they'll want to try it too. So that was one of our goals with the show. That is wonderful. So you, right now, while we're, we're speaking, you're actually out and about, um, or I'm sorry, out in a boot, if uh, we want to keep our Canadianism uh, alive. Um, you're out right now doing some fittings for what to wear on the red carpet to the Juno. So I take it you're going. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm the one that does all of our red carpet looks and our stage looks. And I absolutely love fashion. I absolutely love coming up with creative ideas to walk on the red carpet. We never like to be boring. Just like in our music, we like to make everything really fun and different. And uh, so I'm out right now trying to put together a look that consists of, of course, vegetables, fruit. There perhaps will be a couple of bold, bold outfits of, like, a, a, a accompanying us of certain vegetables and fruit people. <laughs> <laughs> And so Romeo's, um, Romeo's going as well, right? He's going to stay up late? Oh, he's coming for sure. He can't wait. He keeps asking. Ever since the nomination, he's like, when is the award show, Mom? When is the award show? <laughs> He actually thinks that he's already won. <laughs> so hopefully we come home with one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> we very much look forward to seeing the three of you on the red carpet. Yeah, we're so excited. We can't wait, Kevin. It's going to be a real blast. We are all, like anybody in the GTA, of course, with walk-off years, we are all so proud of you. We adopted you so many years ago. We're all behind you uh, for the Juno uh, the Juno night. Thank you. And thank you so much for everyone's support over the years. Like, if it wasn't for all of the fans and all of the support from all the different markets and places, obviously, we wouldn't be where we are. So we're, we're very grateful every day that this is what we get to do for a living, and we love it so much. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 1059theregion.com or 105.9 FM. This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country and beyond. This is Good to Hear. A celebration of Canadian music, the Junos on 105.9 The Region.
The Juno Awards are coming up on May 15th from Budweiser Stage, and joining us is the first female to be nominated for Recording Engineer of the Year at the Juno Awards, Hill Kirkutis. Her work is specifically for the song Howler by Canadian artist Sate and the song The Drought by Uxbridge native Tanya Joy. Hill is a musician, a producer, a writer, and engineer, and she's on the region. Thanks a lot for joining us, Hill. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations on the nomination. First woman to be nominated for Recording Engineer of the Year. How is it all sitting with you after you received the big news? It was a lot of uh, unexpected shock at first, but I feel extremely humbled. Um, you know, your resume is very impressive. You've worked at The Weeknd and Martha and the Muffins and Tanya Joy and Royal Wood, and the list goes on and on and on. Do you, do you look at your resume and pinch yourself at times? <laughs> I do. Um, feel fortunate definitely to have been able to work with such incredible artists and a lot of them like Martha and the Muffins were artists that I grew up listening to so it's I've been I do pinch myself sometimes for sure. What are your influences when it comes to writing or, or producing and where does the music come from for you? Uh, I mean I feel like I've been influenced by everything under the sun even things that don't seem like influences. Um, I've always been a, a really huge fan of Cheryl Crow uh, growing up and she was kind of the the example out there for me that showed that it was possible to be a woman that could play multiple instruments and write your songs and produce and do all those things. So she was huge for me. Um, Dal Bello, another Canadian artist um, who also was my first co-writing session ever when I was 14. And she's been a really incredible mentor to me over the years and friend. David Bowie, the Beatles, you know, the usual suspects. Um, I've always had a thing for British invasion music. I've, I love Motown. Um, yeah, so it's a new wave. So it's been kind of all over the map for me. Do you feel a responsibility uh, to pay it forward as a, as a young woman making uh, making your way? Um, do you pay it forward to, to young women who want to get into the industry? Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I've had quite a few people in my life, just uh, Del Bello was one of them. And also my late friend, Tim Thorny, who unfortunately passed away in the last year. Um, but he was an incredible champion of mine. Um, let me hang out in the studio, sent me a lot of gigs um, when I really started focusing on the production. So he was pretty big for me. And yeah, and absolutely, I think I'm where I am today because of mentors and um, people that believed in me. So I totally believe in paying that forward. And I'm quite active um, within the production community, not only for young women and non-binary folks coming up, but also just young producers and songwriters, because you know, when I, when I was young and I didn't know what I was doing, the first thing that I did was I started emailing all my favorite artists when I was 12 years old, back when they had email addresses on websites. <laughs> and I would just cold email them and be like, hey, I'm a 12-year-old. I just started my first band. How do I start gigging? How do I do this? How do I do that? And some of them actually wrote back, you know, like I wrote Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's who were another huge influence of mine growing up. And she wrote back and kind of give me advice on how to keep a band together. And so um, I think that's the beauty is like being able to take what you've learned. Um, and I know it's all based on your soul experience, so it's not necessarily going to be um, applicable to everybody's path, but at least there's a dialogue that kind of helps us formulate our path. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice, networking and just totally going for it, especially in a very competitive music industry. Our guest is Hill Kirkutis. Hill is the first female to be nominated for Recording Engineer of the Year at the Juno Awards. A lot of hard work goes into this nomination. We don't see the the rewrites and the, the edits and is this the right tempo and I'm going to re-record this. Talk about the trials and all the hard work that goes into your work. 
For sure. I mean, with this particular nomination, it's actually interesting because the projects that were nominated were uh, recorded during the pandemic. So in the case of that, that came with its own set of challenges, just trying to find a way to collaborate remotely. Forgive her, the silent killer. The yeah, in the case of Tanya, like Tanya's become one of my dearest friends, and we still have not met face to face. Wow, <laughs> so, really? I, it is. Uh, look, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then with Sate's record, we actually had recorded it a few years ago, and then during the pandemic, because uh, she was going to release it, and then decided to hold back on it. We decided to reapproach it, and then that was a whole other process of, as you said, diving back in, looking at the songwriting again, looking at some of the the vocals we cut, re-recording things, making edits, just to kind of, I guess, take it to the next level. And so, uh, some projects are very quick in the sense that we go into the studio, we get it live off the floor, and we just kind of mix it, and it's very organic that way. And then there's other stuff that takes a while to come to fruition, you know. And it's it's all those things. I've had some records that have taken a couple of years from beginning to end. So. You have a home studio that's called The Lair. Where are you located? Yeah, I'm actually based in Barrie. And yeah, it's called The Lair. Uh, it, the Lair used to be in Toronto. And then during the pandemic, I moved to Barrie. And technology these days is amazing with these home studios. Talk about that technology that, that will help you with your creativity. Absolutely. And it's, I think that's kind of what inspired me to get into it. Like I didn't um, come into production and engineering in that traditional sense of interning at a studio, right? Like most people do. Um, I went and got the cheap software first on my PC laptop, and then I ended up graduating to Pro Tools because I that everyone was using that. So I got my first Pro Tools rig from Long and McQuaid. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I think we all kind of find our styles between that. So I love that everything was really accessible for me to really gain a great foundation and kind of explore what my thing was. Um, and then of course you start working at a huge studios and you're like, wow, I'm in love with all this analog gear. So my setup at home is kind of a hybrid setup where there's, there is that bedroom setup. There's a lot happening in box, but there's also because a lot of my favorite records have that warm analog quality and I fall in love with tubes and you know, all those warm sounds. So there's a lot of that stuff to kind of use alongside the, the technology, um, and that really came in handy during the pandemic because we didn't have access to studios. So I was, you know, running things through all that stuff just to give us that feel um, without it. actually being able to go there. It is very male dominated, the, the music industry, but you, Hill, are, are carving a path. You're making your way. How do you see the industry changing by embracing more women? Sure. Um, I mean, it's interesting because they're like, I'm obviously not the only one. There were people that came before me that I kind of had as an example to look to. Um, and I think with the technical professions, we're all kind of pretty siloed, like even the men doing this, I think until, because we're pretty much in rooms all day, dark rooms, listening things, making things. It's like mad scientist kind of stuff. So I think what's really interesting is I didn't realize just how many women were doing this until I started to make an effort and consciously think about finding a community. And I do think that we're in a really interesting period right now of transition where more people, I think it's because of the technology as well, that's adding to it, but there, it's becoming more accessible to learn this stuff outside of the traditional environment of being in the studio, of being in that club. Um, and 
especially during the pandemic, like I've even seen a lot of female non-binary artists entering this space as well, because they've had to, like Tanya, we taught Tanya how to record her vocals at home while we were, so she like engineered her vocals on that record, you know? Um, and yeah, so I think that all of these things are definitely creating a bit of like a new wave, a renaissance, if you will, when it comes to women being in the technical fields and the shift is going to happen quickly. It's not going to happen overnight, but I do see it's finally at a place where the conversations are happening and through visibility and representation, we're going to see that kind of flip. The Junos, uh, Budweiser stage on May 15th in person for the first time in two years. What is that night going to look like for you, Hill? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to just see all of my friends in the music community again, because we've been so siloed for the last two years. So I'm probably going to give some people some giant hugs um, and just enjoy the night and celebrate it. Because, you know, I think the acknowledgement of the nomination is just really, I, I feel so honored by it. And, and for me, it's just, I'm excited to go celebrate that with my peers, you know, and celebrate their amazing work over the last year as well. Hill, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Good luck the night of the Juno Awards. Uh, we'll be pulling for you. Our guest, Hill Krakutis, the first female to be nominated for Recording Engineer of the Year at the Juno Awards. Thanks a lot for joining us, Hill. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.